0: Sword and Laser is brought to you by you. If you get a dollar's worth of value from the show, how about giving us a dollar back? Head over to patreon.com slash laser. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont.
1: And I'm Tom Merritt.
0: Sword and Laser is a book club, but it is so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of sci-fi and fantasy, and of course, the awesome and amazing and fantastic discussions from fans just like you.
1: I got to have some awesome, amazing, fantastic discussions with fans that were you in some cases uh, when I got to go to the (laughs) Borderlands meetup. That was really fun.
0: Yay! Yeah. Tom was up in San Francisco because we did the, uh, for those of you who don't know our sordid history, it's not sorted. Um, it's, we, uh, Oh, Tom and I used to co-host a show along with Molly Wood called buzz out loud, uh, back in our CNET days. And this weekend was the 10 year anniversary of that show. Um, Was it the 10-year anniversary of the founding of that show?
1: It was the first episode was posted on March 30th. So yeah, it's 10 Uh, 10 years since the first episode was posted.
0: Nice. And so we had a great uh, shooting. Uh, We we shot a kind of like a roundtable discussion. We had a
1: shooting in Richmond.
0: (laughs) That sounds awful. (laughs) Um, Sorry, that didn't come out the way I wanted it to.
1: It was a great shooting. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) <laughs> we had bratwursts and people and a roundtable discussion and fan voicemails. It was fun.
0: It was it was really fun. So thanks to Darren over at Hack Five for setting the whole thing up, and of course Jenny from DTNS for also setting the whole thing up and, and organizing it. And uh, yeah, we had a, we had a blast. But then Tom was in town, so we we dragged him out to the Sword and Laser meetup here at Borderlands, and we had a great time. It was it was great to see everyone. Very well attended, um, though I did send them all an email being like, listen, if you're waffling about showing up you better be there <laughs> You're on the fence
1: get off the fence
0: get off that fence it's that uncomfortable look up anyway there. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh we pun too much now we're making the same puns
1: yeah it's what happens when you do however 212 episodes of a show plus a bunch from another show that's 10 years old
0: yep yep pretty much uh, so tom what are you drinking
1: I am having some Japanese whiskey that my wife brought back from Japan, although apparently you can get it in the U.S. It's Suntory. Anyone who's seen Lost in Translation knows Suntory time, uh, but it's not a Suntory whiskey. It's a Hakushu, uh, which is owned by Suntory. Hakushu 12-year-old single. Bar. Hakushu. Hakushu? Is that how you properly? Hakushu. Okay. Hakushu. I believe,
0: yes, it'd be Suntory Hakushu.
1: Suntory Hakushu is Ichiban. Is that right?
0: Nice. Uh no yes okay. <laughs> yes uh i am also drinking a japanese whiskey i'm um, i'm drinking the uh nika takasuru pure malt 12 year so we're both drinking 12 year 12 year yeah. japanese whiskeys fantastic i also have the 17 year of the uh takasuru yeah hold the um, hold
1: that one hold the 17 i'm gonna save for, that for a special yeah. occasion i not waste that on like yeah, i laser. mean not that the okay. show is not deserving of good things but yeah you hold the 17 for like super special occasions
0: Oh yeah. I just remembered. Never mind. I, 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 God. someone sent me a present and it's at a liquor store in, I was just there on, on Fillmore and I didn't pick it up cause I forgot. <laughs> and I you mean you've got liquor just
1: waiting for you and you just forgot? Sitting
0: around waiting for me and I forgot to grab it and I was just in that neighborhood just now. Ugh. Oh my goodness. Oh, well some other time, I guess. But anyway, uh, we digress. Uh, let's move on to the quick burns.
1: Our first one comes from our fantastic forum moderator, Rob, who points out that James Marsters fans should be happy. They are releasing a new audio version of Ghost Story uh, from Jim Butcher, read by Marsters. Uh, Rob says, I, for one, am quite happy about this. Nothing against John Glover. He would be a fine narrator otherwise, but he's not Marsters, and it's strange slash jarring to have one book out of 15 be a different narrator.
0: I wonder how that happened. I don't know the backstory to that.
1: Yeah, I don't know if there is a backstory that's known, but it's pretty common for... A narrator to just be unavailable. Maybe there's a scheduling conflict and they're shooting something, and Marsters is, you know, he's always working. So, mm-hmm. my guess is they needed someone to record it at a certain time in order to have the audiobook out, and they didn't want to miss out on a bunch of audiobook sales. So, they asked John Glover to do it. And I get it. Like, the, and John Glover's great. I've, I've listened to some books read by John Glover before, but if you're used to hearing Marsters' voice every time, and there have been other series like this, uh, you kind of want to hear that same, you get used to it, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that happening. Um, I've listened to some of those audiobooks as well, so I can, I can relate. He does an amazing job. He does an like, incredible job.
1: Uh, I can't remember the guy who does the Patrick Rothfuss uh, books off the top of my head now. I'm looking it up real quick. But if he doesn't do the next one, it will be it'll be weird. Mm-hmm. And I've listened to Nick Podell. I've listened to Nick Podell do a different book, and it was a little weird hearing him do that book it was a non-fiction <laughs> book actually it was uh, how star wars conquered the universe and i'm like i kept for the first you know hour or two i listened to it i'm like keep expecting Quoth to show up in the star wars story and meet george lucas it's weird
0: yeah that's pretty funny i just started listening to uh, prudence the most recent gail carragher and um the narrator of that for uh, is uh more of a quirk hold on bless you
1: <laughs> and again <laughs>
0: Thank you. Sorry. Oh boy. Excuse me. That almost never happens. Um, and she's done a lot of the other books too, and it's it's really fun. And it's always it's like coming home, you know. It's like getting tea with a good friend and having their voice in in your ear once more.
1: Yeah, you get used to it. it makes yeah it makes you feel more comfortable.
0: We get very connected to our audiobook uh, narrators over time. Um, something we also get very connected to is Steven Spielberg. Because he directs a lot of great movies.
1: Yeah, that was that uh, was uh, that was like, that was, um, like Raiders of the Lost works. Ark, Crystal Skull, and yeah. AI.
0: <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I see what you're doing here. It's not going to be like that for Ready not. Player One.
1: You're, and you're right. I say that, and it's a, it's it's disingenuous because Steven Spielberg has also directed and produced some of my favorite movies ever.
0: Well, this comes to us from David, and uh, we, of course, discussed this a little bit on Twitter uh, when the news was announced, but yes, Steven Spielberg is going to be, he has been named as the director uh, for the Ready Player One film, which is, you know, so anticipated, so hotly anticipated, Um, and I'm really uh, curious to see how it goes down, especially considering there are so many sound bites and video clips and things like how are they going to get the rights to all this stuff this pop culture stuff that shows up in the book um but you know because it's it's for Warner Brothers I think they'll have an easier time than than some um but there's that's just somebody great there's references to Indiana Jones which Spielberg directed and E.T. um and there's just it's going to be fantastic it's crazy
1: one of the things we were talking about at Borderlands uh, was that we believe Will Wheaton should be cast as Will Wheaton, the president, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that Cory Doctorow should be cast as Cory Doctorow, and both of them should show up in this movie. So I would like to see that happen, Mr. Spielberg, or if Zach Penn, the writer of the the script, has any influence. Uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> his name is Penn. He writes. And he's scripts. a writer, huh? I hadn't thought huh.
1: about that. You know, he wrote the Avengers.
0: Yeah, he wrote a lot of good stuff. X-Men last stand. Um yeah, he's he's pretty good, so I'm I'm excited. And I know I think Arnie Klein took a first stab at the script also. I'm not sure. I Is might that be right? making that up. I might be making that up completely. Don't quote me on that one. We also
1: tried to do some casting. We're like, okay, who should play Oh, everyone's too young and none of us know any young actors. Forget it. Yep, that's that, the problem. That pretty much happened.
0: I kind well. of like to see the um you know who would be good at that? Did you see the um the most recent in a uh, divergent movie, uh, Insurgent.
1: I have not seen Insurgent, yes. No. And that oh. is not because I'm one of those people who poo-poos it. I actually saw Insurgent and liked it. Or Divergent and liked it. Divergent I seen Insurgent, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, there's a the the actor that plays kind of like the the jerky jerky guy. Is it, well, there's a couple of jerky guys. Anyway, the actor that plays a jerky guy that turns kind of never mind. I'm gonna spoil things. Okay. Uh, the jerky... There's what, an actor what is
1: <laughs> in Insurgent that you think would make a good character in Ready Player One. Correct. Which character?
0: The jerky one.
1: Which character in Ready Player One? Oh, Wade. You think he'd make a good Wade. Okay, so yes. if you've seen Div- Insurgent, you probably know who she's talking about already.
0: All right, I'll look it up. Gosh, you guys... Hold on, let me bring up this mushroom. Do your research, Bell. Miles Teller. Miles Teller.
1: Okay, that means still doesn't mean anything.
0: He's the one. Um, he was the guy who did the um, the drumming movie. You know, the drumming movie, Whiplash. Oh, he's in Whiplash. That's come on, work with me here, Miles Teller.
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think I, I always I like... think of Wade as blonde, though, but he's not.
0: Oh, is he? Is he not? I don't not? think so. I don't
1: think so. I don't know why. I think I think <laughs> that I'm Mary suing him or Marty suing him or whatever. Yeah. Like, I want to be Wade, so I think of him as blonde. But I want to be blonde again too. That's
0: you me. want to be a, a teenager? <laughs> yes.
1: Okay. And I want to live. You know what? The thing about Ready Player One that I always fantasize about is the mm-hmm. idea of living in a hotel room. Mm, like, mm -hmm. like turning a hotel room into the, and how he like put in the treadmill and all that stuff. I know it would not be fun, but it sounds weirdly amazing the way Mm. it's described.
0: Yeah, I know. I can, I can kind of see that working. I don't like that Ansel Elgort guy, though. Don't like his face. He's got a mush face. I don't like it. No that's it. That's all I space. have to say about that. All right, let's
1: talk about Chuck Wendig's response to Clean Reader. This came from Mark, uh, who posted, who just basically posted Chuck's post about it. Now, if you are offended by swear words, first of all, you'll probably be very interested in the app Clean Reader, uh, but also you probably don't want to click on the link to Chuck Wendig's post because Chuck uses the F word, uh, and that's not a surprise. He uses it a lot. The app is getting some controversy from authors because what it does is takes the profanity out of books. And you can dial down, you can dial levels, and it'll, it'll take like just the F word out or it'll take lesser swear words out. And at first I looked at this as like, okay, well, you know what, if I'm offended by swear words, I guess that's a great way to be able to read some stuff that I wouldn't want to read otherwise, so whatever. But Chuck Wendig, uh, as well as uh, author Joanne Harris, have both taken a stand that they think this app is bad because they wrote their books with swear words on purpose. That is their, that is their work. That's how they wrote them. And they don't believe that it is good for you to read them otherwise. And if in fact you don't want to read swear words, then Chuck says, don't read my book.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, this is something that, I mean, Chuck goes on to say kind of, where does this stop? Where does it end? He says, I'm not a fan of slippery slopes, but program, programmatically." Programmatic. I think he invented a word there. Yeah. Programmati- programatical- Programmatically, yeah. Programmatic. Programmatic programmatically, Mm -hmm. but programmatically removing or changing information from a book. It's bad shenanigans. Given that this app seems custom made to serve Christian ideals, see replacing bitch with "witch." where does it stop cutting out an abortion scene and replacing it with a scene where the child survives moving a sex scene and replacing it with a scene where the young couple sits and quietly reads the Bible. If a character is objectionable, will you replace it with a (laughs) goddamn mother effing lamp? So it does not doth offend. So it doth not offend. Um, it's uh yeah I mean I definitely see where he's coming from I don't know is this app supposed to be like a religious type of thing or is it is it being aimed yeah. towards religion no religious I mean, people yes
1: no I who knows I don't know people
0: who hate swear words
1: I think I think we get a little overreactive on all sides of this issue uh because there are people who are religious who don't want to have the word witch uh they they feel like that is a bad word to have okay they ought, to me. The topic isn't about who, what certain religions or belief systems like what certain words. The question is, does anybody get to, or should they, change a text to better suit their own belief system? I don't care if it's Christian or Muslim or atheist. An atheist could develop an app that just takes the word God out of all all of the books, right? What matters is, is, and, I, and what I think is really interesting is this idea that Chuck brings up that says, "Hey, wait a minute! I wrote this book this way on purpose. If that offends you, fine, don't read it. But don't go and mm-hmm. change it to make it more palatable to you, uh, because honestly, I, you know, I, I respect the author's intention there." The other part of me, though, says, Well, wait a minute. There's such a thing as fair use. I can, I can, I, you know, if I purchase a book, I can do whatever I want. I can go through and black out all the words I don't like. Uh, mm-hmm. So, who are you to tell me what to do as a reader, how to read your book? And it's again one of those new issues that we never really had to deal with before because technology makes something way easier than it used to be. So, I find right. it fascinating.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I I think it's, I, I I think I'm signing with Chuck here that it's bad business, that you are effectively signing a contract, a a consent when buying the book saying, I accept this book as it is. And this is how the author intended it. And if I don't like this kind of stuff, I shouldn't be reading this book. But to dumb down a book or change the intent of the author for me seems like a shitty thing to do. Like (laughs) there's other, yeah. I, the irony of that is not lost on me that I just swore saying that, but You know, there's expectations. And if you do even a a modicum of research on an author like Chuck Wendig, you will find out that he has a lot of curse words in his books. Or if you read Game of Thrones and expect that no one's going to die horrible deaths, then you probably shouldn't read Game of Thrones. You know, like if if that offends your sensibilities, there's plenty of other books out there, plenty of other books. But I don't think you should change the author's intention Change the words of the author. Take out words. I mean, that's what a story is. It's the sum of all the words put into the book. They have meaning. They're intentionally there for a reason. What that's about the picture the, the Shakespearean
1: Star Wars? Is that bad because it's actually taking Lucas's words and Shakespeare's style and. And retelling, but that's being
0: it. understood as that's that's a retelling. So that's like, so
1: where is the? But that's line, not you. Right?
0: So you have to say effectively, you'd have to say, well, okay, this is inspired by the works of Chuck Wendig. Right.
1: It's like it's like Chuck Wendig light, and and I'm not. But they're I'm, not
0: doing that, are they?
1: I'm well, yeah. I mean, they are sort of. They're are saying, they look, saying if that, you, they don't
0: say this is no longer by Chuck Wendig. Well,
1: no. Because that they haven't gone that far. I guess I'm just saying it's all a continuum, right? At, at a certain point, we don't care about Shakespeare because he's dead and he's been dead for centuries. Uh, and, and taking Star Wars and changing it that much, we feel, has transformed it enough. But where is that line? And I, I think it's very easy to say, if you don't like a particular belief system don't touch it. But what if it's a belief, you know, what if it's another belief system that wants a different thing and it's not swear words, but they want something else. I don't know that that's wrong. I I guess where I end up on this personal, what
0: if a white supremacy book group wants to create an app that whitewashes to kill a mockingbird? Sure. You know, like where, where does that kind of thing stop? Well, that's
1: again, I don't agree with them or their ideals, but they should be able to read a book however they want. So it's like a free speech issue, right? (laughs) You're, you want, you're saying, well, now see, and this is the problem. When you bring up the white supremacy thing, then it becomes uh, a free speech issue and it becomes like, well, are you trying to tell any people what they can read and what they can do? And it's an emotionally charged thing. I don't think this has to be emotionally charged, uh, although it is apparently.
0: I think not to make it emotionally charged.
1: I think that the author is right in expressing a wish that says, I don't. Approve of you modifying my my text. I want you to read it the way I wrote it. I, I, I hundred percent. Well, hold on. Let me finish. I hundred percent support the author in that. On the other hand, I think the reader has the right, as long as they're not redistributing it or trying to make money off of it, to do whatever they want with the text once they have it.
0: I think if you're going to be ballsy enough to pick up a book. Like that, be ballsy enough to read it for what it actually is.
1: I will agree with your sentiment. I guess it's the difference between uh, my personal advice and the law, right? My personal advice would be to yes, Veronica's right. Like, really, come on. If you if you want if you if you're gonna be offended by a book, then just don't read it. Like, you shouldn't. You you probably shouldn't bring that book into your life anyway because it's if it doesn't fit into your belief system, there might be other things that are less than swear words that are a problem with it. But on the legal side, like, should you be prevented from being able to do that? No, I think you should have the right to do it.
0: I would like to find one author who agrees with this app, who thinks this app is good. Like one published author, one, or not even a published author.
1: You'll find plenty of authors who don't write works with swear words who would agree with it, I would think.
0: I, I just think on principle, I can't imagine agreeing with this. But as a reader,
1: to me, it's like, well, where does it stop? You tell me that I can't run this app that takes swear words out. Are you also going to tell me that I can't uh, run an app that makes the type bigger? Or, or I can't actually no, cut and that paste? No,
0: that is not.
1: Well, but you just told me argument. I can't modify the text in this way. You know, th- what I'm saying is once I've obtained the text... I, you shouldn't be able to tell me what to do with the text on my own time to, with myself. What business is it of yours? What if I want to skip every other page? Uh, what if I want to read the ending last? Like, I, as a reader, that's none of your business.
0: Well, you're a bad reader then. <laughs> and that you're may be true. I guess that's what—that's the line or I'm or
1: trying to, to draw, is that I have the right to be a bad reader.
0: Okay. I, I see where you're coming from. I don't agree with it at all. Do you but, think it should
1: be against the law? That's what that's really the, the question. Do you think it should be illegal for you to run clean reader?
0: No. Okay. That's all I'm no, saying. I don't. I just think that app should not exist. Well, How's that's
1: that. You know? There's all then don't buy it.
0: Okay. I'm not. <laughs> I don't intend to. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I urge wouldn't all, expect all of you, you to not buy it either. <laughs> all right. Well. Moving on to other things, uh, Yento had a po- I'm sorry I interrupted
1: you. That was rude. No, no, don't worry about it. I've done. I apologize. I I've- get
0: heated. I was going on a Molly rant. <laughs> no,
1: it's OK. It was a Veronica rant. It's fine.
0: <laughs> um, so Yento says uh, this wasn't unexpected, but HBO confirmed they will finish Games of Games of Thrones <laughs> Game of Thrones first. Um, yeah, this is not unexpected, uh, but we've known for a while now that the TV show is starting to catch up to the books has already caught up with the books and certain storylines and eventually, uh, you know, it's, it's getting close here and George R. R. Martin is not going to finish the books in time and, uh, the show is going to finish them for him though. We are, you know, things are going to be different for sure. I think, um, I think certain character storylines are going to be very different by the time the show finishes versus what George R. R. Martin's going to write into the series. Well, um, that's
1: that's the question, right? Because you're right. Some things will be different. They've actually said that. Like we're not we're not gonna have every single thing happen. Some things are gonna happen differently, but the major things are probably gonna be the same. Like the big, super big questions. And that's gonna right. be a huge spoiler.
0: I know. It's Oh, I don't know how I feel about this. You I know, mean, like when da- when show, Daenerys but...
1: and Jon Snow get married at the wall and have uh, White Walkers as best men and <laughs> maid of honor.
0: Right. Like, that's the big. <laughs> exactly.
1: That's the big reveal at the end that they're going to spoil on the TV show.
0: Yeah. Um. So let's see. Let's that see if we can a find a good that's quote about really this. Right. That's good. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, Benioff has definitely said that uh, spoilers are most definitely coming soon. Um, We'll eventually basically meet up at pretty much the same place where George is going. We already knew that. Um, I kind of wish there were some things we didn't have to spoil in terms of the books, but we're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. The show must go on. That's true. But as we mentioned in a previous episode, uh, George R. R. Martin is skipping a lot of conventions and events in the next year to try to finish up The Winds of Winter, um, which is book number six. And the show is starting April 12th, and then things are going to get pretty tight.
1: Yeah. No, he's not going to. No. I mean, forget it. He It doesn't Just matter no how many conventions he skips. Uh, he is not going to finish book seven before HBO needs to put season seven out. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to happen at this point. So the question is, are you going to watch the TV show and spoil yourself for the book?
0: I think I will. I think I I can't imagine myself not watching the show.
1: It will be an interesting experience to be watching with my wife. Who's never read the books and not know what's going to happen at all. Just like she doesn't.
0: I know that's actually pretty exciting. Um, we are now at the point where things are happening that don't happen in the books, and it's going to be new for us. And I think that's kind of cool. It's kind well, of I makes I, it more fun. I don't
1: know how many spoilers we'll get in this coming season. Uh, I think we'll get some, but remember, there's still parts of Dance with Dragons they haven't covered yet.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, I think oh. we're gonna get a
1: lot of Danny spoilers, actually, Daenerys.
0: Did we even talk about how I hosted the premiere? No, we did. in the episode yet, um, I couldn't talk about it the last time we recorded, but I hosted, I was one of the red carpet hosts for the game of Thrones season five premiere here Which in San Francisco. She won't
1: say, cause she doesn't want to seem, uh, stuck up or in, have an inflated ego, but she killed it. You got, you did such oh, a good job.
0: Thank you. Um, I definitely had some issues with pronunciations. They gave me a card that had, uh, phonetic spellings of names and I didn't, they did, but they did not write out the actual names anywhere on the card. So it was kind of like an instant live on television Wordy scrambling, so I that was like, not fun. Um, but everything else went really great, and I got to interview Maisie Williams and Sophie Turner, and of course saw our our friend Hodor, uh, Christian Nairn, uh, who was wonderful and gave me a big hug. oh uh, cool. He has been on the podcast before, of course. And uh, yeah, it was a great it was a great evening, and we got to see the very first episode of season five. Um, so no spoilers, but we it's going to be an exciting season, of okay. course, as one, always.
1: One minor spoiler, if I could ask in episode 1 is there anything that wasn't in the books yet
0: I don't you know that's a good question because it's been so long since i've read all the books
1: well obviously um, nothing huge then if it didn't if you're not nothing,
0: even nothing well there was one well there was a an off a non main character moment that was a surprise okay a violent scene that i did not expect um but it was normal and there one, have been no things no that books. have happened that
1: didn't happen in the books Right. Already, too. So hard we to We got
0: say. a pretty cool flashback that I don't think happened in the books. All
1: right. Awesome. Um, uh, Trike, actually, yeah. let's bring this right on into this conversation, posted a Cinema Blend article that they may circle back to characters and plots that were skipped. Uh, David Benioff said, people will complain about things because they don't know what's coming ahead. Why haven't we seen this guy? And I think it will be easier once everything is out and it's 70 hours. Not that people shouldn't complain. I don't understand. I think this is the wrong quote. Anyway, what Benioff said is uh, they may circle back and pick up some characters like Victorian Greyjoy, for instance, has Mm -hmm. never been in the series. Victorian Greyjoy may show up. Uh, They may revisit uh, Lady Stoneheart, uh, some other things. So, who knows?
0: Yeah, I feel like we had kind of. I, I thought they kind of said Lady Stoneheart was definitely not happening. They
1: might have said that and then changed their mind when they realized they yeah. have to go running ahead of what George R. R. Martin has put out now. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I anyway, I I wanted to to focus on like this idea of TV show spoiling books that haven't been written. I don't think we've ever been in that situation before. Because George R. R. Martin is the author who has sat down with the producers and said, this is what's going to happen in the books. You are one of the few people on earth besides me that knows this. Uh, And now they can go ahead and make that happen. George R. R. Martin is okay with it. Because he's like, well, I'm going to tell it differently in my book. It's kind of like uh, Charlene Harris, except in reverse. Charlene Harris... You know, handed over the Sookie Stackhouse characters to True Blood, and they went off and did different things with them. And Charlene was like, That's great. I don't mind. Do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And George R. R. Martin is kind of saying, uh, well, here's where the story is gonna go in the book, so have at it. Do your own thing. I
0: thought take. I thought I thought Charlene Harris was kind of upset with the direction that True Blood went.
1: Was she? I I had read I'm could be ignorant here. I'd read one interview where she had said, Oh, I'm I'm fine with them changing things. It's their show. They, you know, it's a different take on it
0: oh maybe i'm yeah maybe i'm misremembering but i, I could have sworn i thought i remembered her saying something to the effect of she didn't like the direction but well, had no control maybe over she it was
1: anymore. fine with it in the interview that i read and then later season she was like oh no no that's too
0: much." maybe <laughs> that's crazy i'd never do that
1: <laughs> i take it all back you're wrong
0: yeah yeah imbeciles um no, I'm excited for it. No matter what happens, I'm going to keep watching the show. I'm going to keep reading the books. It's, I wonder how it's many people more will fun. stop
1: watching the show because they want to save themselves for the books. I think it's hard. I it's too it hard for I think it's far more
0: likely that people will not read the book, mm. not read the books, and yeah. just continue watching the show.
1: And say like what well, is
0: what's less of an effort.
1: I saw the show. Forget it. Yeah. Yeah. And the show's here now. I mean, that's the biggest thing. You don't have to wait for, for the show. I mean, you have to wait for it, but
0: the show is never not gonna happen as yeah. long as it's happening. Like it's know? gonna
1: I I guess HBO could put it off for a season. It's not like Mad Men or Breaking Bad haven't taken long hiatuses in the middle of their runs, but Yeah, but basically, they've got
0: characters that are young. They can't do that.
1: That's tough, yeah.
0: Unless they shoot it all at once. Well,
1: Breaking bad had Walt <laughs> and uh you have the kids of Don grown. Draper in Mad Men too. Mm, but still i mean even if they took they a aged hiatus, appropriately they appropriately. Aged... Yeah. and then what about carl in walking dead
0: he yeah papa,
1: carl pop it up
0: carl papa <laughs> <laughs> oh i gotta put that in the show notes somewhere <laughs> carl papa all Jiggy, right Jiggy, jar, jar, do.
1: if you haven't watched uh, carl search for carl papa you'll find it <laughs> we'll find and we'll we'll try to find a link and put it in the show notes
0: All right, well, now it is time for Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. And we got an email, uh, or is it a post, rather, uh, from Jason, who says, whilst looking through a bookshop the other day, I noticed that more and more books have the title of the book bigger than the author's name. Are people starting to be more interested in titles than actual authors' names? We have seen an explosion of book series over the last 10 years. Do you actually need your name to sell a book, or is it all about the title these days?
1: uh but basically what people in the thread pointed out is that generally if the author is incredibly famous and successful then their name gets bigger than the title but if the author hasn't quite reached that level then the title's bigger than the name
0: mm mm-hmm. yeah like uh justin posted a couple of um images from book covers the one's a michael crichton and one's a brandon sanderson and the brandon sanderson name for example takes up for words of radiance takes up almost half the cover and then underneath it says Words of Radiance. So <laughs> in that instance, you can really see like they are marketing it. This is a Brandon Sanderson novel. You're going to see that first and foremost. And then you're going to be like, oh, which Brandon Sanderson book is it? Oh, it's Words of Radiance. Okay. Um, but yeah, they, they are pushing it towards the author for sure. Um, so it, could, it just depends really, I think, at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, I it isn't. It brought up like my immediate reaction was like, oh well, it depends on the author, right? But it did bring up the idea of like, I guess I hadn't really thought about it. It's weird that Michael Crichton is always the first thing you see. And they're like, oh, and it's one of his books, right? And then someone else brought up the fact that you do always alphabetize by author in bookstores, or most of the time anyway, mm-hmm. not by title, because it's easier to remember an author. And also you might be interested in seeing what else is available from that same author if you like them.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it just depends. I think it's, you know, maybe, maybe it's partially a trend, but it probably just has to do with the author at the end of the day. And how big they are what kind of name recognition they have
1: you can tell how successful at least the publisher thinks they are by how big they made their name on the book exactly you may not be able to judge a book by its cover but you can certainly judge its author
0: <laughs> all right well speaking of big font authors um this month we are going to be reading uh the weird sisters by terry pratchett of course uh, who recently passed away very sadly uh last month and we put it up to a vote for our patrons uh over on patreon.com slash sword and laser. I gave them a few suggestions from the listopia. Uh, People were kind of surprised though, because they thought maybe we'd read like guards or, or any, basically any other Terry Pratchett (laughs) novel. But uh, people wanted to read Weird Sisters, so that's what we are reading, and I'm excited about it. And uh, you guys know far more about Terry Pratchett and Discworld than we will ever know. So this is really just a pretty basic introduction for those who haven't read a lot. I've pretty much only read um, the Tiffany Aching series uh, out of the Discworld novels. Who is a witch? Who is a witch? I think who is... connected as all things Discworld are uh, by various other characters and various other storylines. So... uh, Tiffany aching is related to the witches storyline, which is where, you know, the weird sisters come in as well to the best of my knowledge. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll have someone come on and talk a little bit more about Terry Pratchett too. At some point, I think that'd be really fun. But, uh, and we read good omens for the book club way back when as well, which was a collaboration with Neil Gaiman. Um, so we, yeah, our, our Terry Pratchett knowledge is definitely baseline, but we're both, I think, excited to learn a lot more.
1: The thing to remember about the Discworld novels, uh, and again, I am not the person saying this, I'm saying that every Pratchett fan I've ever met, and I even asked a bunch of people at the Borderlands meetup about this and they bore out this premise, you don't have to read them in order. It's not like uh, The Lord of the Rings or Dune. Uh, You can jump into Discworld anywhere because they all interconnect so loosely and so well that... There might be some, you know, preferred orders if you want to get a certain experience, but the fact that this is the sixth Discworld novel is almost irrelevant. Even the fact that it's the second witch's story, uh, most people feel isn't a big deal. In fact, Weird Sisters is often listed as a good entry into Discworld by Pratchett fans, Uh, so it reintroduces Granny Weatherwax, uh, who made her first appearance in Equal Rights. Uh, It sort of deals with the effect that words have on reality, and in the book uh, there's a murder, uh, there's intrigue, there's witches, and a play is commissioned to portray the victims of the crimes as evil. In other words, trying to change what actually happened in the perception of people by using the play. So, Pratchett very often is emulating either a particular genre or a particular author or a particular series. He, he lampoons Tolkien sometimes. This one is a lot about Shakespeare. Uh, there are ghosts walking the ramparts, as in Hamlet. There are obviously three witches, which is right out of Macbeth. Uh, there's a duke descending into madness, just like in King Lear. So you're going if you're a Shakespeare fan, you're going to have a lot of fertile ground in here as well.
0: Yeah, I'm excited about this, actually, and I I was a little bit nervous to kind of jump into the middle of what I thought of as being a series, but people have really soothed, eased my mind about the whole situation, and I think it'll be just fine. Yeah. Um, But this has also been made into an animated feature. It's been a four part radio drama and it was a play by Stephen Briggs, which I actually uh, discovered that very early on when I was looking at the book when we were still doing the voting, uh, because I saw that one pop up first, actually, before the regular novel came up when I searched for it on Goodreads. So it must be pretty popular. And um, yeah, that would be maybe we could do. No, never mind. You were we like, going to say, we should we'll put, do an we should, adaptation. We should
1: put on a play yes. right here in this old barn. <laughs> yes. I'll make the costumes.
0: Oh, And I realized how quickly that that was a terrible idea.
1: Mm. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know, Disc- Discworld Death appears in every novel, so a spoiler alert, uh, except We, Free Men, and Snuff, apparently, uh, but Death is a regular character. There are 40 novels in the Discworld universe, with a 41st coming later this year. Uh, Pratchett has even said he'd be happy if his daughter Rihanna wrote more, so this might not be the end of Discworld novels. Uh, and uh, I don't know, British cover art was a, was famously done by Josh Kirby up until book 26, and then it was taken over by Paul Kidby as well. So enjoy. I, I've already started in on it and I have to say it really scratches that Douglas Adams itch for me, mm. uh, except with a fantasy twist instead of a science fiction twist.
0: Yeah. I'm excited about this one. I hope you guys are as well. Um, but we also have to wrap up the Goblin Emperor, um, which if you haven't finished yet, now would be the time to stop listening to the podcast until you do. Cause it would definitely be spoilers. Um, and man, I think this is the book we have talked about the most just in terms of sheer number of podcasts.
1: Yeah, because like we, feel- we kicked it off, then we interviewed the author, and then we did a check-in, and then now we're doing a wrap-up. So we've, yeah, we've so talked about it a bunch.
0: So I don't feel like I really have that much more to say about it. I did finish it finally, and uh, didn't the ending did not change my perception except really just make me like Maya even more, uh, which was already kind of hard to do because I, he's already so likable. Yeah. Um, in my opinion anyway. Uh, but
1: I agree. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I thought it was a great book. It was a lot of fun and you guys seem to like it as well. Um, along the same lines, uh, as, as what I was saying earlier, uh, we had a forum thread and I'll go back to the other forum thread, Tom. So don't worry, I'm not skipping it. Uh, but Daniel said in the end, I liked this book. He says, I'm on record as having trouble with the names of people and things in this book. I agree about complaints on the plot and that there isn't really one. The events of the book don't lead to any particular point except in the development of the main character. And yet I still really, really enjoyed this book when it was over. I think it might have been the interview in this week's podcast that finally cemented the reasons why. Oh, thanks. Um He says, this book is excellently constructed. It was made with a plan and with forethought, and it shows in every word. Forethought, not forethought. Uh, It was just a nice place to visit and explore with Maya, and every moment of confusion on my part was mirrored by the main character. It always gave me a sense of inclusion with whatever was going on, something that a well, less constructed book would make all my other complaints crushing. Um, So yeah, he, he kind of echoes a lot of what other people in the forums have said, which is that they're not really sure why they like this book, but they do. It, it, all their all their thoughts, all their experience with other books has maybe said nothing's really going on. There's not really a plot here. Why am I enjoying this? And yet, it just it worked. It came together, and people liked it.
1: Yeah, I, is that I, how you I, kind of felt? Absolutely. I I. I think it's funny whenever you start discussing this book, people will fall into criticism and say, "Well, there's a little Marty Stew stuff," or "Well, it's you know really you know not a lot of action," and 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 well you know the coups maybe uh, weren't weren't believable. And yet at the very end, you go, "Did you like it? Oh yeah, absolutely, pulled me right through." And to me, that is the brilliance of what Sarah Monette, aka Catherine Addison, did in this book was tell a character story so well that all of these plot criticisms uh, don't matter and and mm-hmm. as a person and I think I said this before as a person who generally values the plot above characters uh, to my own detriment when I try to write stuff that to, to be able to read something like this and and just enjoy it without trying uh, just just be Hold in and love the characters uh, and love the characterization so much that I didn't care that not much happened. I mean, things happened, but that was you didn't even care. You didn't even care whether whether things were happening. You were I, at least for me. I was just enjoying getting to know uh, Edra Hossiver. This which one was he? Seventh. <laughs> the seventh. I forgot. It's been, <laughs> it's been so long since I've been. It's easy to forget. <laughs> yeah, and the unth- and and the language is just so pretty. Uh, I know it's hard to pronounce the things if you're reading it, which is one of the reasons I suggested, I, I, I think the ideal is to be able to read it and listen to the audiobook because then you get the musical names in your, in your head. And so when I read them without the audiobook, I still, you know, they rang through my brain and the Amthelen is a chord, and the old Kath Moret. Yep. So, some people have said they just find themselves saying these words to themselves. I had cool. to sneeze.
0: I was paused. Oh. So, I, mean, I was muted. <laughs> you
1: picked the right time to sneeze.
0: I know. But don't oh, you agree, goodness.
1: like the, the musical nature of, of the, the language of that world helps?
0: Yes. No, I, I, I actually said that to Sarah Monette, actually, when we were having the interview, how I say, actually, those are two of the words that pop up into my mind all the time. And in fact, earlier today, I was thinking of the word for when they commit suicide, if the emperor dies or like when they offer, I can't, now I can't remember it, but the word was stuck in my head earlier today and it's driving me crazy now that I can't think of it. Um, but yeah, the Alceth Moret always pops into my head, the Thelanese court. Um, yeah, so it's, it was fun. And we had a lot of fun talking about the words at the meetup last night as well. But it's a, great, it's a great language, and it really does start to come together. As you listen to the audiobook, you start figuring out what things mean and how to say things. Um, and I thought that was, that was pretty great. We also had a thread from Paulo, um, who loved the names, loved the story, loved Maya's learning and growing process. Um, but he did have some issues, uh, particularly with the villains, who he said were incompetent. He said, the first attempt at a coup was done by just a pair of c- conspirators, which intended to kidnap Maya and force him to abdicate before anyone realized he was missing and to abdicate toward his natural heir. Killing him by any means would achieve the same result. The second attempt was a more successful suicide than an attempt at regicide. Uh, regicide, Even if it was successful, the killer would not outlive the emperor for more than a few minutes, given the soldiers and the witnesses around him. Behind these acts of incompetence seems to lie the flaw of the book, and intends to make us believe that good actions and intentions will wield you good results, no matter what, kind of the opposite of George Martin's preach. Um, I'd love it to be so, but powerful men like the Lord Chancellor are not prone to stupid mistakes. Uh, Veronica commented on the last podcast that Maya was a bit of a Marty stew, but I tend to agree with Tom that he was indeed flawed. The problem was that the world around him was conspiring for him to succeed in a way that seemed Hmm. to me a bit artificial. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, I partly agree with Paolo, uh, although I think the first attempt at a coup was not incompetent. What they wanted to do was make sure that the kingdom stayed behind them. If they just killed him, then you risk part of the kingdom uprising against you saying, "Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. You you we may not have liked this goblin emperor, but you can't just kill the emperor. That's not okay." So if they could have convinced him to sign, then they could have killed him <laughs> but he yeah. would have abd- they could have killed him later after all the hubbub had died down and he would have and it, and the new emperor would have been accepted because it was legal he you know the goblin emperor abdicated okay everything's fine so i found that one very convincing i do agree that the second attempt does seem a little desperate i, I think it was supposed to appear desperate because it was it was more of a uh, i don't uh, if, uh a political manifesto. Uh, it was a belief system. It was an emotional, uh, coup attempt. Um, and yeah, but yeah, I, I, all of that, that said his statement that the world around him seems to conspire to make him succeed is, does ring true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I did feel, I, I felt like they were still pretty incompetent. (laughs) The, the co-conspirators, the Lord Chancellor and whatever her name was, I can't remember it anymore. Um, but it didn't bother me too much, I guess. Well, why
1: did you feel they were incompetent?
0: They just seemed like she was totally just frantic and kind of working out of emotion. Mm-hmm. And the Lord Chancellor just seemed like he did. He did not have her in hand. Like he did not have control over the situation, even though he thought he did. Yeah, and I'll so- buy
1: that. I'll buy that. It's not that the the method or the plan was incompetent, but the execution was.
0: Right. Right, and they did not expect at all that um, the heir... Oh, gosh, I, have, I stopped reading the book two days ago, and now suddenly I've lost all the names.
1: Davos? Um, Seaworth? No, no wait, that's a different book.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the young heir to the throne, Maya's current heir, unless he has a child.
1: Davy, I don't know. Yeah. That you guy. know who
0: I'm talking about? I
1: do, but I can't remember his name. I feel like it begins okay. with a D.
0: No, it begins with an A, I think. Begins with a vowel. Andrew? No, forget it. Avarice? Um, No. No, No, it's okay. (laughs) But I I liked his character, and she didn't expect him to stand by Maya and stand by what was actually right. She expected him to stay out of it or to be okay with it, and he wasn't, and she didn't plan for that, and that was her downfall, was her own son.
1: Yeah. It's true. It's true. But again, I go, go back to what I said before. Even if you want to make these criticisms and even if even if they are valid, everybody still says like and and, and even our, our poster right here is saying, but I, still, I really enjoyed the book.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that wraps up The Goblin Emperor. Uh, thank you guys for reading along with us. I really enjoyed this one. Um, I'm also sad that there's not going to be more books in this series unless Sarah Monette changes her mind. Um, but it was it was a great read and I'm, I'm really excited to jump into April's pick, which is no joke, The Weird Sisters by Terry Pratchett. So pick that up at your local bookseller or order online on Amazon. Uh, we have all of our picks over on swordandlaser.com slash picks. Uh, I just stole Tom's line. I'm not sure how he's going to compensate for that, at the ending of the show, uh, maybe he'll read the part that I usually read. Tom,
1: our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons at <laughs> Patreon.com/slash Sword and Laser. Thank you to all the folks who back our show, and if you'd like to support the show, uh, do head over to Patreon.com/slash Sword and Laser. We thank every single person who finds value in the show enough to give us a little value back. We we can't thank you enough.
0: And of course, if you haven't heard, if you are a patron patron. I always want to say patron, (laughs) Patron. patron, patron, exterminate um if you become a patron uh you will see or hear rather our fantastic thank you jingle that we have posted this week uh which was uh written uh by tom he wrote the lyrics and paul and storm helped with the musical accompaniment um and so tom and i sing for better or for worse you guys get to hear that if you become a supporter of the show over at sword and laser.com uh sorry patreon.com slash sword and laser it was a lot of fun to make and i hope you guys get a kick out of it too Otherwise, if you want to get in touch with us, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 415-7-SWORD-6. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.